0: A few years ago, it may have been five or six years ago. I think, you know, I heard this one song, and it uh, changed uh, my perspective—at least on this one song. The name of the song was called "Lights, Please." And at the end of the day, it's a song about drugs, a song about sex, a song's about a uh, song about problems in the world. But it's not one that's based off of somebody riding down the street, glorifying all of these things. It's a origin song of sorts. So here's what takes place. I'll uh, narrate what takes place in the song so that you don't have to go back and uh, listen to it. But it's a song about this guy. And he talks to his girlfriend at the time. And he's just trying to kind of school her on all the problems and woes of the world. So he starts to talk to her about poverty, crime, economic injustice, the terrible portrayal of African-Americans in the media. And what goes on is he says, you know, the more and more that I talk about these things, real things that take place in our world, the more and more I get depressed about the things that take place in my world. So do you know what I do to try to cope with that? smoke weed, have sex. And so it's this song about pleasure, but it's pleasure in response to the woes that go on in this world. And the song is just the world that we live in is broken. I'm frustrated. I hate it. And the more and more that I think about it, the more and more I'm driven to depression. So do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop thinking and I'm just going to go someplace and enjoy myself. I'm going to embrace pleasure to try to numb all of this pain. And here's where I think that the point of this song or what goes on uh, is missed on good Christian or moral people like you and I. We think the problem is the indulgence in Immoral things. And we think we're better off if we don't do the bad things. The problem of what he, our lives filling our lives with innocent pleasures. The problem of what he had is he indulged in all these bad things. I'm not going to do those bad things. I'm a good person. So here's what I'll do. I'll fill my life with all of these good things. Think about your life right now. If you hit the lottery and won a million dollars, what would change in your life right now? Who would change? What would you do with that? I think most of us, if we're honest, we kind of spend our time wishing daydreaming that something like that would take place so that we could just make life the way that we want it or we give ourselves wholly to working and diligently grinding trying to get the job that we want trying to advance in the careers that we have in order that we can fill our lives with pleasures or uh, pleasurable things in order that we can escape the inconveniences that we find in our life is that where true success Lies. and being able to have a life that's pleasurable, that doesn't experience the pain on the day-to-day. Is that how you tend to define success? Not just for you, but for the people that you look at and envy. If your ideal life were to take place right now, do you feel like that you would be fulfilled or that you would have meaning. And by meaning, all that I mean is feeling that you're at a place at life where you can feel like I have enough. Everything is good. There's nothing else that I want. The ironic thing is that many of us think that we will, that meaning is found in our ideal life. But I want you to know that the pursuit of that The pursuit of pleasure, even innocent ones, could shipwreck us. I think the rapper that I talked about, as well as the experience that most of us find, is this. Feeling empty leads us to try to fill that emptiness in every sphere of life. Empty spaces in your home, empty silences and conversations are meant to be filled with laughs and jokes. Empty stomachs are filled with food and empty souls. We attempt to fill those with something as well. If you fill it with the wrong thing, it could mess you up. And so here's what takes place whenever we're unsure Uh, about which way that we should go, or if we're headed towards danger, there are words that have saved many a life. Whether it's trying to eat some food that you're not sure about. These words have saved many a life, and it's this. I don't know about that. You go first. (laughs) And this is what takes place in the book of Ecclesiastes. We find a guy that goes first. And here's the beauty about what takes place. For those of y'all that have been with us in the course of the past few weeks, chapter 1 is all about this. There's this guy that's trying to fill the empty spaces of his life with meaning. And what he finds out is that as hard as he works, that a life without God is a life without gain. There's nothing that ultimately fulfills him. So last week, what takes place is he thinks, if I just know more, then I'll be at peace. And what takes place is the more that you learn, the more you lament, the more that you learn how broken this world is, the sadder that you get. So, you know, where chapter two starts off with him. In the same place that we just talked through. He leaves the study and says, man, this is depressing I gotta hit the streets. I just need a night out. And so you have this guy looking for fulfillment and meaning, not in knowledge, but in pleasure. Verses one and two start off and it takes place and he says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was Vanity. He doesn't even finish the first sentence without saying, hey, I thought that pleasure was going to fulfill me, but wait a minute, it doesn't. And the rest of his time is he's just trying to, to prove this. Verse 2, I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? And so as he thinks of this pursuit of pleasure and good things to enjoy, the more and more that he does it, the more and more he says, this is mad. or It's like insanity, right? Think of the definition of insanity that we've heard so many times, trying the same thing over and over, but expecting a different result. And so he's like, man, I found myself trying the same thing, trying to just drown out my pains. And what I found out was I got the same results. Pain came back. It really didn't help me out at all. Like a great counselor, here's what's going to take place. As we sit here and read, we're all going to kind of have this sense of me too. See, Those are the things that I would have said if I had the words to say it. And the beauty of what takes place here is I think that he's going to say what's on many of our hearts. And he's going to say ultimately Pleasure. Doesn't satisfy your search for meaning is not going to end, even if you create the most pleasurable, ideal life that you can imagine. And he gives us two reasons why. And then I think we get a way forward. Here's the very first thing that he helps us see. And that's this. Innocent pleasures don't always make for innocent pursuits. Innocent pleasures don't always make for innocent pursuits. If you think that your problem is just, uh, your main problem is just, all right, I've spent my life trying to pursue the wrong things, money, power, sex in a way that God doesn't vibe with. So now I've got to pursue the right things. His main point is this innocent pleasures don't necessarily make for an innocent pursuit. Drop down with me to verse three. It'll be here on the screen as well. And he says this, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. Verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been given before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold in the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. Innocent pleasures don't always make for innocent pursuits. Here's the first thing that takes place. What we see here is this guy that just covers the full gamut of things. You may not want all of what he has, but there's something in here that you do want. There's something in here that you wish that you had right now. There's something in here that you're working for in order to get. And what he says is, I got it all. Verse 3, he starts off and says, wine. All right, I try to look for the use of wine. And now here's what he doesn't say. What he doesn't say is that wine is sinful and it's bad. Psalms 104. The Bible says that God gives men wine to cheer the heart. So wine is not bad. It's bad in excess if it leads us to drunkenness. But in moderation, it's a very good thing provided by God himself. However, he says, even as I indulged in it, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. It was a controlled experiment. He's not getting wasted. He's not out there acting like a fool. He's saying, all right, this is a very, very good thing. Let me see what it does. Then look here. The bulk of what he talks through are innocent pleasures and good things. Verse 4, I made myself houses, vineyards, gardens, parks. Verse 6, pools to water this garden planted trees verse seven right he brings up this he'll use this word slaves listen don't think of chattel slavery the horrendous abomination that took place in the u.s. and across the world where slaves were treated with as less than people with dignity that they didn't deserve that's not what goes on here you look at the bible and God has uh, 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 outlined or ordained a sense of servitude where even the people that had these slaves were supposed to treat them with dignity and respect. And each generation had the privilege to be able to get their own freedom. In the New Testament, there's a book called Philemon, and it's all about this slave that Paul's saying to his master, he's a Christian, take him back, but not just as a slave, as a brother. The Bible affirms the dignity of all mankind, and so here, this isn't condoning slavery any more than it is condoning the concubines that he says at the end. It's just him saying, no, no, look, I had money, I had pe- possessions. I had things. I had power. I had this large land. I had all of this stuff and I was a CEO and a boss and I had people that took care of all of the work for me so that I was free to be able to just enjoy life. Verse eight. Concubines, I don't have such a justification for that. He's bragging. He's the Wilt Chamberlain of the Bible. That's what goes on right here. But he's saying money, power, and sex, all of it, at his disposal. And look, most of this stuff was innocent pleasures. So here's the first thing that I want you to know. Christianity doesn't mean the end to pleasure. It doesn't mean the end to your fun. It doesn't mean in order to be a good Christian, you can't have fun or have nice things. God made a world that was full of colors and delicious food and people that we enjoy and sex and money for us to be able to buy things so that you and I don't have to feel guilty. If you're in here and you have things and God has provided you with means to enjoy yourself responsibly don't feel guilty. That's a gift from God. Christianity doesn't mean that it's not meant to put an end to our pleasure. Here's what Christianity does. It tells us that pleasure is not the end. And that's a big difference. So most of these are Innocent pleasures, but it doesn't necessarily make for an innocent pursuit. What's more important than the objects that you pursue is the objective of your pursuit. What's more important than what you pursue is why it is that you pursue that thing. And it's so subtle. But if you read this text a few times, It'll stand out as clear as day. This one word that's repeated four times. Do you know what that word is? Did anybody catch it? Myself. I did all of this stuff for myself. Look here at verse four. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. And then he talks about slaves and all that stuff. Verse eight. And I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. Here's what makes his pursuit of innocent things Such a danger is that as he relates to creation and the pleasurable things in life, his point, his aim, or his goal is trying to satisfy himself. Everything that's created, he thinks that the goal of all of those things is for his pleasure. It's this preoccupation with I being filled with this sense that all of creation is for me. The original audience that read this would immediately have thought of Genesis 2. Do you know what takes place there? It outlines God creating paradise. And in Genesis 2, starting in verse 7, it says that God planted gardens. God made rivers to water these gardens. God planted all kinds of trees. God made a man and a woman to work this ground. God filled this land with gold. So what we see here is not somebody just chasing pleasure, but somebody that's spending their lives trying to create paradise here on earth. Relating to every bit of creation as if the ultimate end of it Is not to serve God. But it's to please him. This is more than just chasing things. That are innocent. This is what the Bible refers to as. Idolatry. Looking for ultimate. Satisfaction. In something that was never intended. To be all about you. This innocent pleasure. They don't always make for innocent pursuits. There's a story that shows this so clearly. And if you've been here at the church any length of time, you've probably heard me tell it a bunch of times, but there's a bakery downtown that I used to frequent all of the time. And the beauty of this is you don't even have to be a Christian to be able to embrace this. A waitress that worked there, her name was Charlie. We built a good friendship. And so Charlie and I are there one day and I sit and I ask her, I'm like, Charlie, tell me your story. And she just went real deep, really quick. And she said, I was an addict for years. Binging out, indulging on all types of bad stuff. And she's like, it ruined my life. And then I went to a 12-step program and I got clean. And then do you know what? I found out that I just need to replace the bad stuff that I do with good stuff. And she's like, I gave myself to running, trying to stay in shape. And she's like, and before long, John, do you know what took place? All of the unhealthy patterns that wrecked my life, a life that was all about me and my fulfillment and my satisfaction. She's like, all of that came back up. And she's like, and I found out, It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. If it lies at the center of everything that I do, it'll mess up my life. And I said, Charlie, that's what the Bible refers to as idolatry. Innocent pleasures don't always make for innocent pursuits. Listen, sometimes we do have to spend the bulk of our time watching out for sinful things. But much more than that, you and I have to spend our time watching out for the simple things that will overtake our life and convince us that fulfillment can be found in what we see right in front of us. If your North Star becomes pleasure and satisfaction based on what you see here in this world that we live in, everything, even very, very good things will be distorted. Listen, If your ultimate end in this life is your pleasure, building an ideal scenario of life for yourself, do you know what you'll do to people? You'll objectify them. If you're lonely and have a tendency towards codependence and you think that fulfillment is just going to come and people that like me and affirm my value and give me what I need, then you'll latch on to people and you'll suck them dry. If you're filled with lust and you think that fulfillment is going to come in sex, in the affirmation that I get from somebody else, in the feeling of importance and significance or closeness, That comes with that. Do you know how you're going to view people. As objects to feed your pleasure. If you if you are somebody that's a leader or ambitious and pleasure to you comes in achieving and accomplishing and getting things done. Do you know how you'll treat people. As cogs in a wheel that are useful to you. Only in so much as they can help you get to your goal. And then once you get to your goal, they'll be disregarded. Innocent pleasures don't always make for innocent pursuits. Because even innocent pleasures can lead you to become idolatrous. But he doesn't stop there. He helps us see that this pursuit of pleasure, it's not just that it's a wrong end, but here's what really makes it bad. What makes it bad is that all of it is wasted effort. It doesn't accomplish anything. Starting at verse 9, read with me there. Verse 9, he says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And wherever my eyes desired, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. The first time that he'll use that word, reward. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Here's the conclusion that he comes to. He says he achieved it. Earthly paradise, he actually made it happen. Do you know what his conclusion was? He was just as empty as when he started wasted effort. And this point is going to be long, but it's as comprehensive as I could make it. I think here's the point that he's trying to get at. You have an eternal palate. You have a taste for something that will swallow every earthly pleasure, even paradise, and still leave you as an empty person. You've been equipped with an eternal power. This taste for something that every earthly pleasure that you can imagine getting your hands on. You'll swallow it and devour it. And at the end, you'll find out that you're just as empty as if you've never eaten anything at all. Verse 9, he gets further than actually Pursuing pleasure. He, he, he'll use these words in a past tense. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me. Verse 10. And whatever I desired, I, uh, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. He effectively removed the words wishing, wanting, and waiting. From his vocabulary. A lot of our discontentment in life comes because we think we spend our time saying, ah, I wish ah, if I just had this. Oh, I want if I just had that or him or her. Ah, I really, really want that, but I have to wait. And so in the meantime, until I wait, I'm not going to be happy. And what takes place is he removes all of these words. He has a paradise where every pleasure imaginable is tangible, in reach, in his grasp. He doesn't have to work for it at all. And so for all of us that would say, I'm not so sure about that, you go first. He went there and, and he accomplished the life of your dreams. And he comes out at the end and he says, I still feel like an empty person. I feel like I sat down at a table and loaded my plate up with air. And in the same way that your stomach is not going to be filled by eating all of the air in the world, your soul is not going to be filled by having every earthly pleasure in the world. But in verse 10, he says, hey, but there is this reward. Listen to the reward that he says that he gets. Verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. The the reward that he had was not in the products that he got at the end, but he just looks back and said, hey, at least I had fun while I did it. But it's not satisfying because that's not what he set out for. He set out for meaning. He set out for being filled, not just finding in, in enjoyment. And I've seen this principle. Well, I saw it play out so clearly in the very first job that I had. The first job that I had, Chuck E. Cheese. And so what takes place is is people come in. They see these prizes on the wall. And they start to play these games. And they find out, hey, if you play these games, you can get these things called tickets. And so it'll take places. You'll see grown men for hours on end laboring on skee-ball and basketball and trying to knock down the gophers. And they're wearing their nice clothes because they thought that it was their kids' party. But they're spending all this money, right, armpits sweating, all of that. And then at the end of the day they come out, they come to cash out their prizes. And you could just look at the disappointment in their eyes when they bring you 10,000 tickets and they find out that all that they get is a ring pop. They're just disappointed. And they're hurt. And they say, I did all of this work to get something substantial. I didn't get it. And the only reward that they had was, at least it was fun while I did it. But they didn't come out to have fun. They came out to earn something. And his thing is, I spent my life trying to get all of these things. And the only thing that I have to hold on to is memories. Of how good I thought it would be when I had it. Of how fun it was when I worked for it. But right now, that does me no tangible good. And more than that, now that all of this stuff is done, do you know all of those problems that I try to drown, my, uh, 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 all of the problems that I try to forget about, do you know what I found out? They're all right here. So pleasure, giving ourselves to innocent things will never provide us ultimate satisfaction. You've been given an eternal palate that can and will swallow up every earthly pleasure, even paradise, and still leave you as an empty person looking for more. The answer to where you are right now is not more money. I'll tell you that right now. The answer to where you're at right now is not more and better sex. It's not having the person or the spouse of your dreams. It's not the promotion on the job that you're wanting and waiting for. It's not the house that you've longed to try to get here in the West End and have been frustrated because every one of them breaks out. It's not Any of those things. You could have all of those things right now and still find yourself just as empty. And here's the dangerous thing about the world that we live in is that our world doesn't even give us a chance to breathe and to reflect on the fact that things won't provide us what we long for because our world tells us. No, 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 no. Things will. That thing that you have didn't work. And so it sends us on this endless pursuit that right about the time that we find out, wait a minute, this house really didn't make me content the way that I thought that it was. There's somebody or something else that tells us, yeah, well, that one didn't, but there's this one that will. And so hear me. The pursuit of pleasure and trying to find meaning in this world is like walking around a room looking for an invisible man that's not even in the same room. Work as hard as you want. Labor as hard as you want. Wish, want, and work. But your life is going to be filled with that discontentment. And even if you feel like you grab a hold of it and get it, one thing that we have to embrace is this. What makes things valuable and pleasurable in this life is their rarity and their scarcity. Pleasures, every one of them, fade. Even if the pleasures don't fade, as you get older, your senses wane. And the same pleasures don't feel as good as they once did. John Piper once said that you have to have two things to ensure that you find meaning or fulfillment in pleasure. And that's this. The thing that you look for pleasure in has to last forever. And you have to last forever. If one of those is not true, then you're headed towards disappointment. If you last forever, but your pleasure fades, you're never going to find fulfillment in it. If your pleasure lasts forever and you don't, you're never going to find fulfillment in it. This is why he says it's like chasing the wind. And if you don't believe him. At least believe Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey says this. (laughs) No, listen, listen, listen. I think that it's it's so good because this is not a truth. What he's saying here is not just a truth that's reserved just for Christians. People that aren't Christians know this. He says this. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so that they can see. That it's not the answer. Earthly pleasures won't fulfill you. Let me take this one step further because of where we live. We are in Atlanta. Earthly pleasures won't fulfill you regardless of who they come from. There's this thing called prosperity theology. You may not know it by that name, but what it says is that here's what God wants. God wants to make you healthy and wealthy and rich, and God wants to give you all of these good things. The reason why your pleasures haven't satisfied you is because you've been trying to get them yourself. If you if you're faithful to God, God will give you all of these things, and those pleasures still, but become an end and they won't satisfy you hear me when I say this the only thing that doctrine the only thing that prosperity theology is good for is serving as an attractive lure, bait that hides a hook that'll drag everybody that believes it down to the very hell that it came from There is nothing in the Bible that lends itself to say that God wants to fund our idolatry. People that know Jesus, do you know what takes place when they get blessings from him? John chapter 21 paints an amazing story. Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples are back trying to make a living. They work all night to try to catch fish. Jesus tells them, hey, y'all are throwing the net on the wrong side. Throw it on the right side. They throw it and they catch fish that would make them a fortune. And do you know what they do when they found out that it was Jesus that gave them that advice? They didn't write books to all the rest of their friends that are trying to catch fish saying, you just have to seek Jesus and he'll give you all the fish that your nets can take place. Do you know what takes place? They leave all that fish behind and they run to Jesus. Anybody that sees Jesus for who he is, and we're going to talk through that here in a bit. Do you know what takes place when they get these earthly blessings and treasures? makes them long for him more. It doesn't make them lament leaving these things behind. In the same vein, I want you to know that if you're here and whatever definitions or criteria that you would use to describe yourself, you know, you, you, you feel yourself as poor Somebody that doesn't have the nice things, the money. Somebody that doesn't have influence. Somebody that doesn't have the ability to have your sexual desires fulfilled and you just feel like I'm poor and I'm uh, missing out on joy and pleasure that the rest of the world has here in this world. God must be displeased with me. Don't feel that. The lack of those things could very well be God's care and concern for you to ensure that you don't find yourself ensnared or trapped in the same things that so easily pull so many of us down. Earthly treasures and pleasures aren't the end. They're not the prize. They can be swallowed up and still leave you as an empty person. C.S. Lewis says it like this, which leads us to our last point. If I find in myself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation must be that I was made for another. It's so easy for those of us that are middle class or lower middle class to have just enough money or power to think that this does make me joyful this does solve certain problems that I have and it's easy for us to think if I had more of it then I would be more happy and what he's saying is no 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 no. it's not the more that would make you more content it's that the material was never enough to make you content That the conclusion that this should lead to is that if there's nothing in this world that can fill me, the conclusion that I come to is that I was made for something much more. So you may sit here and say, but John, but I just want nice things. I just want to experience the pleasures in life. I know folks that walk with, with the Lord and they have all of these good things. John, is that too much to ask? And I would say, no, it's not too much to ask. It's too little to ask. It's been said that he who has God in everything has nothing more than he who has God alone. What the Bible calls us to do is not to lower our expectations, but to raise them. It calls us to raise the board, to long for something that will really fulfill us. If we come to a close the same way that we started, often it's the pains in our lives. The ones that we feel right now are the ones that are on their way that force us to really want pleasure. And I think that so many of us are eager for pleasure because we're either unaware or skeptical of what God himself can do with our pain. And so the best thing that we can think to do in light of the pain that we feel is to at least have a good time, that that'll help. And it may help, but do you know what it's not going to do? It's not going to heal that pain. It's not going to heal what's wrong with us on the inside. It's not going to make us content. You know, I've heard it once said, that to stop at earthly pleasures is like a family on their way to Disneyland. And whenever the kids see these signposts that point to where it is that they want to go, they beg and plead for their mom and dad to stop there. And it's foolish to stop at a signpost that points somewhere. Signposts are there just to tell you there is something coming. Mickey and... Many may be on this sign, but that's not them. They're somewhere else. Keep going. In the same way, the pleasures that we have here in this world are not meant for us to stop there, but they're meant to point us towards a God. They're meant to make us constantly reflect and meditate on Jesus himself. Who. Who. Secured. Pleasure for all of us, not in a paradise like Adam and Eve, who had that but still longed for more. Jesus secured our pleasure on a cross to show us that, listen, pain doesn't stand in the way of our pleasure. Pain doesn't need to be numbed. Pain itself needs to be healed. Jesus helps us see that our pleasure and fulfillment was never meant to be found just in a paradise. What made the paradise that Adam and Eve were in, what it was, was that the presence of God was there. As a result of their sin, they were booted from God's presence. They, like you and I, feel this sense on the inside that we're far from God. And regardless of what we try to do to fix it or to mask it, that lingering emptiness stays there. Every earthly satisfaction ultimately is going to be an eventual shortfall it's going to show that it can't fix those things that are desperately wrong with us. You can eat, drink, and play, but the problems are still going to be there. And not only will they still be there, but how often have those things led us to feelings of regret? Well, now it's not just the pain of the world that drives us to try to forget that pain, but it's the pain of The mistakes or the things that we've made. Where do you go to have that regret erased? Not just forgotten about, but erased. Where can you go to ensure that those feelings of significance, importance, security. Don't fade or don't leave with the friendships that go. Don't fade or don't leave when the money goes. They don't fade or they don't leave when the people, the security, the houses, all the things that we work for go. Where do we go to ensure that the pleasures that we want, not just the things itself, but the feelings that those things bring, where do we go to ensure that those things won't leave? I'll tell you where we don't go and what we don't put our hope in. We don't put our hope in our ability to get those things or our ability to secure those things and make sure that they stay. Here's what Jesus does for us. Jesus is a man that the Bible refers to as a man of sorrows. His life was spent Denying earthly pleasures. His life was spent coming to the earth, Mark 10, not to be served, but to serve all of us who would manipulate creation to to serve us. Jesus came to, to serve us. And the life that he lived and the death that he died was for this reason. To bring you and I back to relationship with God. First Peter 1. 18. I just want to read to you all how the Bible talks about what it is that Jesus secures for us. It says this. Knowing that you were ransomed. From the futile ways or the vain ways. Inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things. Such as silver. Or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God. Hear this, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Your faith and hope are in a person, not in a place, not in Paradise, Not in power, not in possessions, not in people. But our faith and hope are that this very God that was meant to fill the emptiness that we have on the inside is not looking to you and I to solve the problem or to fill that space. This very God spared no expense, gave of the riches of his son to die in our place for the sins that we've committed so that you and I. Can be drawn back to, to God. So our regrets aren't just forgotten about. They are erased. What pleasure is it to live a life where it's not that you just try your hardest to forget about the things that you've done in the past, but you have a real and abiding sense that the things that you've done in the past are actually forgiven. That this God that we want to be with actually will not take those past things into account when we stand in front of Him to be judged by us. What type of pleasure would it be to not have to be tired and exhausted Working for somebody to give you significance to tell you you're important or valuable, but for you to sit back and to be reminded that this very God didn't buy you with gold or silver something that you could pay back, but he bought you with the life of his son so that none of us could ever say I'm grateful for what you did. I'm going to work really hard to make sure that I pay you back. But all of us forever would be floored by the importance and significance that God lays on us in bringing us back to himself. And those things can never be taken. Do you know what those things secure for us? What we call eternal life which will ensure that the pleasure that we want won't fade. And one day when we die, we'll be reminded that death is just a comma, a transition. God will provide us with a new life that won't fade to where we can forever be brought back into relationship with him. If that's true, And that gives you and I the freedom to presently enjoy the life that we have right now. Enjoy the pleasures that God gives you right now. Enjoy your money. Spend it on things that you like. Have fun. Take your spouse out on dates. Buy clothes that you like. Eat good food. But be reminded that those things aren't going to ultimately satisfy us so it looses our hands so in the same way that we are free to have a good time, we're free to give. Sex, in the context of marriage, be reminded that it's a very good thing from a very good God. Power, authority are meant to be used So that whatever sphere of influence that you find yourself in, whether it's a teacher, a policeman, or somebody that just has a magnetic personality and is able to influence people, be reminded that you are to use that not to heap up stuff for yourself, but to point people towards God. All earthly pleasures aren't meant to satisfy us, but just to serve as a signpost to the creator. And the beauty of being a part of a church or a community of folks that all believe the same thing about that is this. We have the privilege of allowing our conversation to reflect that. There's certain people in this world that every time that I talk to them, I leave and I'm floored by how good God is. I am amazed at the amazing price that Jesus paid to purchase us. And I'm reminded that I have access to this good God because of what Christ has done whenever I want to. And I leave my conversations with them eager to pursue and to love the Lord. As a group of Christians... there's a good majority of folks in us that believe that truth know that every time you open your mouth in conversation, you have an opportunity to do the same thing. So do it when we're done here. Although there's lots of pleasurable things in the world that we can talk about, let's outlaw small talk just for today let's spend our time as we reflect on the pleasurable things. Let's use it to point everybody in this room to be reminded that even if we had every earthly pleasure, it would still leave us empty. God made us for so much more. And you have a vital role in reminding people of that truth. Let's pray. Father, once again, um, we're thankful that our hope for fulfillment doesn't um, end with us. And so we don't have to relate to the world like that. Father, help us to be those that are free, those that aren't trying to um, escape the pains of this world as if it were possible. Uh, but remind us that we are those that embrace the world as it is. And, and we enjoy each day that you provide to us as a gift, Father. So help us to do that and to live as those that enjoy your world, but are reminded that our personal enjoyment is not the end. There's so much more for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.